Crazy markets. That's what we've had the last few days. So how did you handle it? Were you looking for a bug out bag or were you realizing, hey, maybe this is an opportunity? Tune in today and we're going to help you navigate those crazy financial storms. It's Brian Preston, the money guy, restoring order to your financial chaos, retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions. He's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. So, Bob, fun exercise. Okay. I like exercise. This sounds like it's right up my alley. All you have to do, I could have done this with Google, probably YouTube, but I did it on Amazon. I just okay. went on Amazon, typed in bug out bag. Do you even know what a bug out bag is? You know, I hear you say that term a lot, and I think based on context clues, I can get there, but I'm not familiar with it. That's I don't know not... if it's because my wife likes like secret agents, like we always go to those movies or whatever, but it, it's, it's for, you know, all guys who are like special ops or right. spies or whatever. They got bug out bags so that, you know, when they get the call, they can be gone because they, they need to either go underground or they just need to leave town. They got a bag. I guess it's not. You just had a baby, so it's not too different from you and your wife putting together a bug out like, maternity bag. Yeah, like when it's go time, it's yeah. time to go. You're okay, ready. Yeah. You're ready yeah. to roll. So if you go on Amazon and type in bug out bag, it's crazy that immediately at the very top, Amazon will will have a whole section saying, "Are you prepared for emergencies?" And you can literally get. A premium family emergency survival bag for 72 hours of disaster preparedness for $269. $199 if you don't want the premium one. Okay. I mean, I guess that means that your rations. Right, right. You, you don't get peanut you don't butter. Need a life of luxury. You get, you get, you get ramen noodles. Right, okay. I don't, I don't know what the difference is between these, but it, it brings a great point. We had a market that got spooked. Mm -hmm. It got scared. Um, you know, Friday, sat, you know, well, Saturday, everybody was freaking out, but right. Monday and Tuesday, were, were interesting days because Friday and Monday were horrible. Uh, and then Tuesday, all of a sudden, happy days are here again. Yeah. And you're like, what in the world was going on? And my biggest thing is I don't panic for myself. I don't even panic for our clients, but I do panic for how they will react to That's it. That's right. So I, I get so nervous that people, when we get into crazy financial markets, that they're going to do something to their detriment that they destroy the potential to to maximize and create the best version of themselves financially. And it happens all the time. And that's what we're going to cover today is how to prepare yourself for scary markets so you don't make these mistakes. We are your bug out bag. You don't have to go and want to go buy this stuff where you're going to be, have seed banks and rations and everything else for your because of the financial market. You're going to know if I get scared, hey, just go to the Money Guy show and watch this video, listen to this show, and you're going to be okay because we're going to prepare you. So that, that's what we're covering today. Um, go check us out, moneyguy.com. And I want to tell you another thing, a tidbit that I think a lot of you guys who are already ahead of the curve and join the Money Guy family, you knew this. If you go to our website, moneyguy.com, and just give us your email address mm -hmm. and subscribe, there's no cost. You become a, you know, a, a smart subscriber, and we don't charge you. You get access to all of our archives. But here's something we did that's unique, and I think that it will continue we went ahead and sent out to everybody who's part of the Money Guy family our response to what was going on. So Fridays, Monday, when that data came out and the market's going down a thousand points, and you, you hear the the news commentators telling you, "Oh my God, the the world's the, coming to an end." Yeah, we sent out information to say, "Wait a minute, let me give you perspective. 
Let me tell you what historically actually happens, and then let me give you some great advice from Warren Buffett of what he thinks about these things all the way from back in 2013. And we've already received several emails back from you guys going, thank you. We really appreciate the timing of this could not be better. And it comes to you completely free if you just give us your email address. So you are blowing it. If you don't go to moneyguy.com, give us your email address so you can get tied into the Money Guy family, and we'll keep you up to date on, on what's going on. Also, this is going to be out there on YouTube. Mm-hmm. If you And we're going to be talking about a lot of graphs, a lot of data points today. So all, all my nerds are like, wait a minute, I'm sitting up in my chair. Did he just say there's going to be a lot of graphs and data points? You need to go check this out on YouTube yep. so you can make sure you get all the visual aspects of this show as Absolutely. well. So definitely go um, keep up with those aspects. But this was one that we kind of need to strap in and take off. So moneyguy.com, what other information I need to share before we just hit the ground now, running, Bob? I, I, I think that's, I think that's perfect. And you know, if you're, if you're listening to this, what we're talking about is on, uh, Friday, the, what, what was the date on Friday? Was that the second? Is that right? On Friday the second, the market had a big drop. On Monday the fifth, there was another really big drop. And the commentators even started saying something like it's the, largest drop that we've ever seen because the Dow lost like over 1,100 points, uh, which is really just bad math, and we'll talk about why that's kind of bad math to use those numbers in a second. Uh, so one of the questions that a lot of people are probably asking is, what happened? Why did the market do this? And I think that's probably a good place for us to start talking about, okay, what caused the market to behave as frenetically as it has for the past few days? Did, did you love that while we were in the midst of that? This shows, guys, and I, and I don't want to offend anybody, but this shows the gamesmanship of how I think some of this, I take this with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. While this was all going on Monday, do you remember what I was doing, Bo? I was yelling out, it's down oh, 1,000, yeah, yeah, yeah. down 1,100, down 1,200, and I was driving you crazy. I think you, you, were, you were panicking. I was kind of making a game out of it, not because I'm not concerned about the value that's being lost, but just because I know... It really does tie into what Warren Buffett was talking about. If you have a crazy neighbor yelling out crazy prices on your land or your right. farm, you don't, you might take advantage of the offer right. that he's trying to sell his property, but you're not trying to sell yours necessarily unless he's offering something crazy. Right. But you just, it's noise in the background. Well, you're, you're right. What actually happened? This is the, the, the most unique thing is that we, the market got beat up because of good news. Well, Brian, you have to be wrong because when good news comes out, the market goes up. That's the way it's well, supposed to work, right? This is because I'm one of the transition things we're going to be talking about is what an interesting time it is to be an investor right now. And the fact that what happened is, is that employment numbers came back much better than anticipated. And so wage bases are starting to go up. Cost of goods are starting to go up because people have more jingle in their pocket. Right. Um, so, so they're, they're putting that money to work. And what a lot of the experts are worried about is, is that, oh no, this means the government is going to start raising interest rates. The Federal Reserve, the Fed, is going to start raising interest rates faster than we anticipated. So there's a little bit of pullback because we have been, we've had this thing called quantitative easing that we did a, a few years back where the federal government was essentially dumping, printing um, a ton of money into the system. And it, it's to, a, to some degrees, it's like a steroid that everybody's kind of gotten a little, little happy on the sugar high uh, of this. So now that we know that the those days are coming to a close. People, people are panicked about it. But right. I will tell you overall, I think that the, there's, there's good news going sure. on. Um, I think it is a unique thing. We need to make sure that all of our, our viewers and listeners are very aware of the time 
another thing that has made this so unique is that interest rates have been artificially low yeah. for going on a decade That's now. That's right. And, and here's the thing, and I have a chart, and I know you like how I snap the pages when I bring the chart up, and, and, and I'll share this, but it's... um. If you look at, this is what CDs have paid historically. This goes back to the mid-80s. And you notice, when you look at this chart, you notice it's going pretty much down. I right, mean, there's yeah. some peaks and valleys, it's, but it's primarily going straight down to, to the point that really going on a decade now, a five-year CD is paying less than 1%. Right, right. I mean, and, and guys, it wasn't too long ago. In the early 2000s, we were making 5 to 6% just on money markets. Mm-hmm. So people who are retired... Who don't want much risk in their portfolio, who have historically lived off of, you know, what the interest they've earned on CDs, savings accounts, they get nothing, right? You know, for the last decade because of some of these things called quantitative easing and so forth. And so what ends up happening is, is because they're not getting that yield, they're not getting the return on their cash or their CDs or their fixed income portion of the portfolio, they naturally are getting pushed further out on the risk spectrum. So if you need a certain rate of return, to be able to create the lifestyle that you need or to have a portfolio that grows, you end up being a little more aggressive than maybe you thought. And we've seen this happen for a number of portfolios over the last decade, I would say. Yeah, and I think that this is the problem is that we have some older people who shouldn't be taking on as much risk as they are. They're out there. They're a little ahead of their skis. They're over their skis a little bit. And it's probably a good time. And that's what we we mentioned and we ask this of people, when you call us and reach out and try to make a personal connection, we first want to understand your why. And I know you're going to notice a theme on most things. When we talk about vision plan, we ask you, what's your why? When we talk about what you do for a living, what's your job, your vocation, what's your why? Sure. It's the same thing with investing. Sure. And I know we sound like a broken record, but there is a reason you have to know with where you're going. As you say, but I love it, you talk about you've got to have a vision for the end. Yep for where you want to be before you can get started and know the steps, the path forward. That's exactly right. So, so we want to understand the why. And, and here's the thing. Why are you investing? I mean, really, you have to figure out what is the purpose of this. You know, for a young person, it's because you want the army of dollar bills working right. for you. You want the compounding interest. For an older person who's maybe approaching retirement, you, you know, the why might be, I want to have some resources growing, a portion, yep. a much smaller portion growing so I can keep up with inflation and other things. But it's not as important. Growth becomes less important if you've done things right. So it, it, your, your why will be evolving and changing. And let's be honest. All, all of us want the same thing. We want as much return as possible with as little risk as possible. I mean, that's really the... But we recognize in the world in which we live, there's a trade-off there. You don't actually get to do that. And so you have to prioritize... Which one of those are more valuable? And, and while the last few days have been uh, painful and uncomfortable and we've had some clients contact us saying, what's going on and what should I do? It's been incredibly educational because uh, it's really hard to measure what your risk tolerance is when the markets are going up and when yep. things are great. It becomes much easier to measure when it, when things are kind of scary. <laughs> it really does put into check that that whole fear and greed right. thing. So I, mean, I want to finish up these reasons of why to give kind of prime the pump when you're talking about this with your significant other uh, or, or talking to family members on trying to figure out what your why is. Is that you do need to figure out first and foremost. Is your primary objective growth or is it the preservation of capital? And that's really going to be determined by your age and where you are already financially. Um, and then we see this sometimes, and this is, I will tell you, this is why I hope you start as young as possible. I hope a lot of the Money Guy family or young people watching this is because there is a whole group of people 
who are way behind. Yeah. So maybe you have to be more aggressive because you need the assets to help you grow to catch up that's to right. where you are. And that's a, that's a really dangerous area to be. But it, at least if you know where you are, you can take the correct measures. And then here's one we talk to people all the time. They are in growth portfolios, but they really don't have a reason to be in a growth. They've already won the game, and they're taking on probably more risks than they need to. So what you, you need when to you say won the, the game, what does that mean? That means that if you mathematically and financially figure out, okay, here's my level of assets. Look at how much I plan on needing in retirement and funding all my financial goals. It looks like I'm there. Sure. If you're there... Why take on, sure, you want to grow the assets still, but let's pull some of that, so pull some of that money off the table because realize guys, we've done whole shows on, you have your risk tolerance and a lot of very successful people can tolerate a ton of risk. Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys are, are uh, business, business owners, owners yeah. and other things. So it, there's no doubt you can handle risk, but there's another component of risk called risk capacity mm-hmm. is that as you get to be, you know, fifties, late fifties, sixties, even seventies, you don't have the three years, the five years, six years to let your money recover. So you have to take into account the timeline of what risk capacity that's means. Right. So, so if that's the case, let's make sure we pull it down to where it reflects where you are with your goals. So now that we understand the why, let's talk about some basics. It's, this is where the charts are coming, isn't it? <laughs> this, this is, is where, where they're coming. Well, you know, because you can see on, on the, the show notes look like basically a Google search <laughs> with a bunch of web links. So uh, I'm going to try to be good with this, Bo, and you'll keep me on, 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 on track with it. Is that I think that there is a huge disconnect. We all know that we want to be investors. And I, and I commend everybody who wants to come and invest and, and, and get the, that army of dollar bills working. But a lot of us invest without really understanding What's reasonable? Right. Why, why do I even get, we had a year, we just came through a year where the S&P 500 made over 20%. And a lot of people, you know, in the previous year it was over 10%. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people start going, it reminds me of the 90s, they start going, well, this is, this is just the way it rolls. Right. But there's a reason you can make 10%, 20% is because there's risk. Mm-hmm. There, you are definitely, there's no guarantee that you're getting money, you're making money. Now, historically, over the long term, you do pretty good. But there are patches where, where things can get pretty rough. So when you see volatility like this, you're getting a very strong wake up call is that, you know, investing is not a free ride. There will be up and down times. And so last year, the market, like you said, made, or the S&P 500 made over 20%. But, but that's actually not the most unique thing about what happened last year. What I would say is probably the most unique thing that happened last year is that there wasn't a ton of volatility. I mean, we looked at the numbers, but I think they're, wasn't a single period in 2017 where the market had greater than 3% pullback? Yeah, because that's what keeps people honest. Mm-hmm. Let's face it, volatility is what's going to keep you honest. Otherwise, if there was no ups and downs, every 85-year-old in the world ought to just be in the S&P 500, get yeah. that great performance. But we know that's not the case. That volatility has a a, a, a part to play right. in giving you the rate of return. And, and what historically, Bo, what you're alluding to, and we have a chart, that, that we've, we've shared. If you were part of the Money Guy family and gave us your email address, we shared this chart right. with you. The average year typically has a 13.8, let's just call it 14% swing. If you're talking about the S&P 500, where at some point during the year, there's going to be a huge fluctuation where from day one, January 1st to the end of the, somewhere, you know, to the low point of the year, there was a 13.8%. Right downturn doesn't mean the year is going to end up down. There's all kind of yeah. examples where 
Actually, the market had great years. Like if you think about 2016. 2016 yep. turned out to be a double-digit year, but the first quarter of 2016, people were talking. We're in a new paradigm. That's Do right. you remember? I mean, it always cracks me up when people so talk funny. about new paradigms. But the year ended up being good. It's just there was a lot of a lot of growth pains there in the first that's part right. of the year, and that's pretty normal. Last year, shockingly boring. And the fact that we didn't have any volatility. So it gets to be that compl- that, that, that smoothness creates complacency because we start thinking, well, this is, this is normal. We're just right. not supposed to go up and down. We're just supposed to, to, to expect 20% rates it, of return. And the news media would have you, uh, believe or the popular, you know, headline channels would have you believe that what happened over this last, uh, last week is out of the ordinary, is not normal. Well, the truth is that's actually more normal based on statistics, based on the numbers than what we saw for the entire year of 2017. So you kind of have to reorient yourself to recognize what is normal and what's out of normal, what's what's unusual. So I had another chart, and this one, I mean, several of these trusts, I will, I want to give a compliment out there because we'll we'll make sure that we we um you know show these charts the way they are. First Trust, which is an investment house. You think Brian listens to our show? I'm not, I'm not sure, but he said somehow we're on their mailing list, and they um, emailed over some great educational pieces. And by the way, I'm giving them credit because they said that this was, I made sure I read the fine print, that this was public, which is important, right. as well as client-worthy. Mm-hmm. You know, it has all the disclosures and everything on it. But I, I really liked what they did with some of these educational slides sure. at First Trust that they put together. The first one that I wanted to share with you guys from them, showed before i even get to the point i thought this was interesting because you and i have and this is a sidebar i didn't talk about this in show prep you, you love these <laughs> um we do illustrations i talk about it the economics teacher who told me i could be a millionaire right. you know and we're always trying to figure out by, by the way i just cut off a story i got into doing this because my junior economics teacher while i was working in fast food said you guys if you could save a hundred dollars a month you could be a millionaire and a light bulb went off. And that's what I want to create for you guys. I, I sure hope that I can create the same type yeah. of excitement. But we have a lot of dialogue when we do 401k presentations. Bo likes to put rates of returns at like 6%. I like to put rates of returns on these educational, motivational type things of 10%. Right. You're, you're very good and conservative. I like to, you know, under-promise, over-perform. <laughs> but I think when you're trying to motivate... You, it's good to show what growth sure. can do, what that army of dollar bills can do. Well, I liked on First Trust illustration here is that it has the average annual total return since 1926. So we're, we're almost 500. got 100 years of data in this thing. It's 10.16. It's unbelievable. Like when you think about that, on average since 1926, before the Great Depression, before the Great Recession, 10.16% average annual rate of return. Now, you're going to notice on the visual, there's some down years. Sure. Don't get me wrong, but fortunately, the majority of the time, it's, it, it, there are up years. But you know I'm going to club you over the head on this uh, in the I future. But, but here's what this illustration actually shows. If we took from 1926 all the way through the end of 2017, on we have two illustrations. The first is a three-year rolling average. So we look at it, and remember, this is good. I like that we're doing three years. I like 10 years even better because sure. we tell you you're a long-term investor if you can keep the money invested for at least five to seven years. Yep. If you if you need the money within three years, it needs to be in a money market, a CD, that's something right. that's very liquid, um, because you're not really an investor if you need the money within right. three years. You're you're a person that's speculating to to some degree because you're taking some chances. Sure. But what what this shows is, and I'm just going because you're going to see the data. It says in the 93 year periods 
from 1926 to 2017, just 15 of those three-year periods had a negative rate of return. So if you think about it, out of 90 possible three-year periods, 15 of them were negative, 75% were positive you're doing the math. You don't have to, Bo. I think about no, these things. So that means there's only a 16.7% chance that it's negative historically. Right, it doesn't sure. mean it's guaranteed sure. in the future. It's, you know, it's not indicative necessarily yep. of the future. But 83.3% of the chance, time, it's positive yeah. uh, if you look at this on a rolling three-year period. If you go to 10 years, okay. let's look at what it does to the numbers. Same thing in, in the 83 10-year periods from 1926 to 2017. Just four periods had a negative rate of return. Hold on, I'm sorry. Say that again. So uh, 83 chunks of time from 1926 until 2017, 83 10-year periods in there. How many of those 10-year periods had negative rates of return? Four. Or 4.8% of the time. The other 95.2% of the time on a 10-year rolling period, positive results occurred. So so what I'm hearing, Brian, what you're saying is, the deck, as an investor, is naturally stacked in our favor, right? I mean, if the market is going to make money, whether it's a three-year period, it's one out of every five years, or whether it's 95% of the time, you know, on a 10-year period, the market's stacked in our favor. So why does Dalbar come out with this study every year that shows that the average investor is doing horrible? What, where's the disconnect? Because there's a lot of emotional investors, a lot of people that aren't using analytics, that aren't doing financial planning, aren't doing investment planning. They're just kind of floating out there in the wind and letting the group think of the time and the financial media as well as the, the news media and others that are trying to keep your eyeballs on the screen and on their papers more so than ensuring you're protected financially those things are creating noise and distractions for you. So that's why, like I said, this is your bug out bag. This is what's going to help you. So let's put some more perspective that First Trust put together another slide on the US, on the history of U.S. bears and bulls. Remember, a bear market is when the market loses 20%. Okay. And, and a bear market is just a, 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 you know, a continuation of a good performance over an extended period of time. And what I thought was interesting is this once again goes all the way to 1926 okay. to the end of 2017. And, and listen to these stats. And, and by the way, if you look at the visual on this, you're going to notice there's a lot of blue. Very, you know, it happens because we tell people all the time, anecdotally, it's about every two out of every 10 years, you're having downturns. And you'll look at this data and kind of see the same thing. I, I'm going to stop you right there. If you're someone who's listening to this and you're on the treadmill or you're on the lawnmower, you know, while you're cutting your grass this time of year, I don't, I don't understand. But if you're doing something and you're not looking at this, Live in Florida. stop right now. Look on your iPod or your phone or whatever you're listening to. Make a time step. Go out to YouTube and look at this chart because because I think of all the charts we have, this to me was the one that was the most amazing. Oh, it's the this most, is the one that grabbed you. Oh, man, you didn't was, tell me that. It was eye-opening. I mean, it's eye-opening when you look at the bulls versus the bears, the frequency, the consistency, and then the just the girth if I can use that word, <laughs> of these bull markets, is unbelievable. So if you're someone listening, go look at this chart because it really is that powerful. You Okay, carry uh, on with the thought now. Oh, I, I got thrown off by the girth. <laughs> but it, but it's, um, let, let's just keep reading here. Um, the average bull market period lasted nine years with an average cumulative total return of 480%. The average bear market period lasted 1.4 years with an average cumulative loss of 41%. Unbelievable. And, and again, visually, if you just look at these things stacked up against each other, it is ice cubes versus icebergs. And, and so, uh, and this isn't on the show notes, but it's one of those things where 
I hear these numbers and I'm such an analytical person. I'm like, well, how could anybody get away from this? I mean, how, how, how do we fail at this? How do we not all become Warren Buffett's where we buy low and then just let the money ride, ride, ride? What happens? We really are, we are miserable emotional mm-hmm. creatures. I mean, and I think what happens is we look at this data and it empowers us. We're like, sure. But then when you're in the moment, of a 2008 or a moment of 2015 where international stuff's going on, you start thinking, and I've already kind of alluded to it earlier in today's show, it's a new paradigm. That's right. You, you're like, oh, well, maybe. I know we have 100 years of history, but this might be different. The Internet wasn't around 100 this, this years ago. Is a, everybody always does that. And I even have – we have discussions. We have a lot – the cool thing about working here at Abound, though – and you know it is that we have a lot of discussions. Right. We, you know, they're not debates, but we definitely are bouncing ideas. And I will have associates from time to time and say, "You sure this isn't a brand new paradigm?" And I'm, and and, and I just become a cynical old guy as I've heard paradigms thrown out so many right. times that I kind of chuckle. Yeah. I mean, because I just don't. I know that we're in a new world, and there can be more efficiencies. There can do things, but it is amazing how markets. And I think it all goes back to Adam Smith's invisible hand right. when you talk about wealth of nations written back in the 1770s. Yeah. I mean, there really is an amazing thing about business, market cycles, emotions, and, and how they all interact with each other. So um, definitely pay attention to your emotional side. And we've done complete shows talking about that. But this bull versus bear is some pretty powerful stuff. Absolutely. So I, I, I love that you... More people going out to YouTube is a good thing. Mm-hmm. So, so definitely take Bo up on that. So, uh, we, we talked about the historical rate of return for the, the financial markets is, you know, right around 10% on the S&P now. But here's the thing, and I don't want to lead people astray. You're not going to be a 75 year old that has 100% of your assets in the S&P. Yes, you might make a great rate of return in certain markets, but remember, there are periods where it could go horribly wrong and you might take years to recover and you don't have those years. So you need to understand there is some benefit to having diversification, to having asset allocation work for you. And, um, that, that stuff is important. And you, and you, you hopefully will still get a good portion of the upside, but protect yourself from the the downside substantially. Because here's what I want to talk about is what actually drives the stock market? What is, what is going to, to, to help you? Because an understanding of what drives the stock market will help you know that there's a lot more going on than this is a casino. Because mm-hmm. this is not a casino. I, I, I get so annoyed, and I think that is a common misconception about investing, is that people think, well, it's no different than I go put black or red on the roulette wheel. No. That's not the way no. it works. If it's anything, and, and I, I don't even like making this analogy because it gives credence to the whole casino is that you are the house when That's you're right. an investor. That's right. But but it is so much better than just betting. Because it's not betting. You're investing, you're actually putting your resources to work in companies that are that are growing, innovating and doing things. So what actually is going on in the market is realize the market, just like its name implies, is supply and demand. That every time you sell a stock or you buy a stock, there's somebody on the other side of the transaction. So you're like, well, that sounds okay. That means if I'm making money, somebody must be losing or something like that. But here's how you protect yourself from that. And Warren Buffett talks about this all the time. You have to understand when you invest that there is an intrinsic value that um, when you buy an asset, you're you're all you're buying on the fact that this is a company. Mm -hmm. You know, for instance, if you're buying something like 
Apple, Tesla, Google, Amazon, um, the, I guess Alphabet instead right. of Google. Right. I always go back to the to Google instead of calling it Alphabet. But you have to look at them and go, okay, well, how much revenue do they have come in? What's their earnings? You know, after they pay all their expenses, how does that compare to what the stock is trading at? So I can come up with a price to earnings ratio. I'm nerdy enough as an accountant that. I always like talking about it's a multiple of EBITDA, which right. is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. If you ever, if you ever hear somebody say EBITDA, now you'll know what it means. But there's, there's all these things that go into, so you can take, a, 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 a essentially a, a measurement of how much you're paying. Is it good? Is it bad? Am I getting in at sure. a bad time? So, but you're talking about stocks now, Brian. Now we've talked all the time about, you know, when we talk about, how to think about looking at a portfolio and what you should invest in. You know, we like using mutual funds yep. or ETS and that's not the, so you're talking about understanding the in, intrinsic value of a company or intrinsic value of a stock. Is there something we can use, uh, in the mutual fund world? Is there something we can look at? And are there examples in history? Maybe it wasn't a good time to buy because of, of a, of a specific metric and maybe other times where it was a good time to buy. Right. Well, I think that's a loaded question because I will tell you, a person who's many years from retirement, it's always a good time to be buying because sure. things are going up. But I think equities, but get bowling it down because people want analytics. Mm-hmm. You can't just say it's always, because it isn't all, always a good time to buy. But I mean, I understand in the short term, there could be fluctuations sure. that, that, that play havoc on your emotions. So I always remind people that like when you're talking about stock investing, the price earnings, even with mutual funds, you can look up sure. what the price earnings ratios of the underlying holdings right. are through Morningstar and other things. But then also you can get into other things which we've done complete podcasts and money and you know and YouTube shows on is index versus is it an efficient marketplace, is it an inefficient marketplace. So you could, there's all kind of tools and we're not I don't want to get too sidebar, sure. but I will tell you that there are ways to figure out intrinsic value it's not for stocks. It might be on price earnings, but you can definitely look at the rate of return or the, the bond payment that you're getting bonds, premium, the discounts. There's all kind of cool things that go into, but I think the macro things that impact is what, what's the temperature of what's going on in the economy? When we talk about innovation, I mean, is there a new thing that is, we don't talk about new paradigms. You know, I told you I, I chuckle at them, but I don't chuckle about disruptors. Right. I mean, there's no different in the fact that I did a whole Bitcoin discussion, and we've talked about blockchain. Mm-hmm. We've talked about how the Internet changed everything starting That's around right. 1993, 94 in there. I talked about when the iPod came out, when I got my first iPod in 2005. It changed this it business. Changed, yeah. I mean, so I am all about innovation, disruptors, and things like that. And you do need to be aware of what's going on with that stuff. And then pay attention to... Um, Taxes, regulation, that stuff, you know, most companies went from, all your companies in the S&P 500 went from a 35% tax rate down to a 21% tax rate. That is going to have a substantial impact on their annual earnings. That's right. And that will probably impact what's going on in the financial markets. So understand how those things all are interconnected. And that leads to the next thing I want to talk about, which is the cycle of the market. You have to know where you are, and I think that's probably... I'm horrible at reading clues just like I am with playing poker and the fact that you have to know where you are That's in this right. market cycle. Yep. And, I, and I like, you know, you're sitting here looking because I have it sitting right before me. <laughs> I think, as I've told you about how, how emotionally and miserable the average human creature is, especially during downtimes, there is scientifically proven we remember bad stuff much more than we remember our wins. Right. It's it's just something. I think it's a it's it's a holdover from survival <laughs> skills. 
um, when, when maybe it wasn't so easy to have shelter and other things. So um, I, I love when, when we talk to, to prospects, we talk about this cycle of market emotions. And if you Google that, you'll see there's a gazillion of these charts out there. The one we use, what I like about it is because they all use the same language. They talk about, and I'm just going to go through the traditional market, and I'll try to put the right inflection point so you get the feel for what's going on. So when you start investing, you know, if the market's on the upside of things, you have this sense of optimism. Right. You start making a little money, you get excited about like, it, so there's excitement. Awesome. Yeah. And then you get to the moment where it starts, you start, the next stage is as it continues to go, you get a little thrill from me. Like, woo, how am I so smart? You know, this is, you start getting this feeling that you're doing this thing right. And then that leads to the endorphins and you're talking at the cocktail parties at Christmas where you're thinking euphoria. Man, this the is the Warren greatest Buffett. thing ever. And, and that's what I want to tell you when you get to that point of euphoria that really is the maximum point of financial risk because things are high that's right but you are excited and like i said you're telling everybody in it that will listen to you how much money you made on this investment well then things start hiccuping a little bit you start having a little bit of downturn you're like okay i got a little anxiety but it's okay and then you're like you know next thing is you're getting it continues to get on you go wait a minute it's all right. I'm a long-term investor. I can handle this. It's a temporary setback. You go through a little bit of denial right. with yourself, and then it keeps going down. You're like, wait a minute. No, no. Fear sets in, and then desperations as it continues. This thing doesn't listen to you. It's not, it's not reasonable. It keeps going down, and you start hitting panic. And then you get to that point, capitulation. You look at yourself in the mirror and go, how in the world could I That's have right. been so wrong and so dumb to even get in on this thing. How did I do this? And then you just you just so upset. Guess what? This is the maximum point of financial opportunity when everybody in the world you're practically only whispering to your significant other that you're thinking about investing at this point because nobody in their right mind would go and get in this crazy thing of investing even though it's up 8 out of 10 years. Right. The 2 years it is down, everybody hates talking about the stock market. Right. And there are people in 2018 that is still not investing because of something that happened in 2008. That's right. I mean, the fact. Tell that's me true. that's uh, no, I'm it's wrong. But so we go from this capitulation to, to the maximum point of financial opportunity. So we'll, it, it starts improving. But still people, even though it's improving, are in depression mode. And then things start turning. They get a little hope. Then we get relief. And then we hit optimism. And we start the, all over. It's wash and repeat. You know, it's like shampoo. Yep. You know, you wash, rinse, repeat. As much as necessary. And so I love this market cycle of emotion. It's something we use all the time. Uh, but what I have found, Brian, and I think you'll agree with this, is that sometimes it creates, uh, it creates the wrong impression that we are in more control than we are. So a lot of people have been saying, you know, hey, markets are at all-time highs. I keep hearing that on the news. It keeps going up. That must be my point of maximum financial risk. This should pro- I should probably I should probably sell I should probably go to cash I should probably pull some money I should probably dial it back. And I, I'm glad you brought that up because that is a point that when I do that market of of that cycle of market emotion, that's more of a short term type understanding. A typical cycle might be that five to seven right. eight year period. But you go do many of these things, and I and I, I I give this analogy all the time is that here's a basic understanding of investing that you can visualize in your head is that when you're an investor. You really are, think about a person on a journey, a hike, 
up a mountain. So what happens when you go on a hike with a mountain to, to go up a mountain? You're going higher and higher right. the further into the journey you go. But the thing is, is you have a yo-yo. You're the, you're the type of hiker that can chew gum and walk at the same time. So you see, you say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have a yo-yo. So that yo-yo is going up and down right. throughout the process. And that's what's going on with these market cycles is that that yo-yo in the short term will have some ups and downs. Mm-hmm. But when you look back on the journey, and it's so interesting when we look at clients quarterly reports and we have a, a nice chart that shows their, their principal investment and it shows what, what the value is over time. It really is, looks right. like a mountain. That's I right. mean, it, it is so interesting to look at the separation from the principal investment to the growth, but you see all these little, you know, va- peaks and valleys that are slowly in there, but in the That's long right. term, it looks like a mountain on the paper. It, it's an amazing thing. And so I think what's beautiful is on that market cycle of emotions, it's supposed to allow you to understand your feelings and, 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 and what you're going through. It's not prescriptive of behavior. If you're someone where an 80-20 portfolio makes sense for you, that doesn't mean that when you think things are good, you want to be 80-20. And when you think things are overvalued, you go to 20-80. Yeah. It's not prescriptive on how your behavior should be. You need to have a portfolio that you can handle, that you can sit well with, that you can rest well with, whether you're at the top or whether you're at the bottom. Because we saw this in 2013. After the market made greater than 30%, a lot of people said, man, we are due for the correction. We are due for this thing to pull out. (laughs) If you're someone who made a big portfolio investment decision based on the fact that we were due for it, you are still waiting right now from 2013. (laughs) There are a lot of people in 2008, at the beginning of 2008, you know, we saw a little bit of a downturn. We saw it come down like, oh, this is the opportunity. I'm ready to go all in and throw it all out there. That's not the right, because even though you're you're kind of close to being right, in the right mindset, right. you're still not making the right decision. You need a portfolio that fits you, whether we're at the top or whether we're at the bottom, and then you tweak around the edges. I just think we always need to talk about behavior when we talk about emotions, because it's the emotional part is not prescriptive of how you should behave from an investment standpoint. But there is a power to understanding what your weakness oh, is sure. or emotion. Absolutely. Of, and you know me. I want to get as many charts and other things in here. We show, I, I'm a hoarder. If you want to know the truth, I'm a hoarder oh, of data. I haven't seen this thing in almost. Well, it's because this thing is 10 years old practically. <laughs> I mean, this is something that Fidelity Investments, they, they probably, somebody from Fidelity is going to watch this on YouTube and be like, we, when did we, we do that? that 14 we, times. When did we do that? But it, this is a chart they did. They came out with this. I think probably this is what's interesting to me. This came out. It looks like in June of 2008. Mm-hmm. We didn't even hit it. I no, mean, the 2008 was, is when it got ugly. Yeah, I mean, so this really has this encompasses the dot com bursting. Right. So th- I would love to see this chart go out even further yeah. because it would. I think. Show the illustration even more. Maybe somebody at Fidelity can send that to me. But this shows the dot-com bubble. And what I like is it has up top the S&P 500 okay. and what's going on with it. And then it has cash levels, the average level of cash that the investors are keeping at the time. And you'll see, guys, the average investor, when the S&P 500 was at an all-time high back in 2000, cash levels were low. Yeah. I mean, really low. But then... And this ties into the market cycle analogy that I was showing. You can see that when we were at the peak of the dot-com bursting, the bubble bursting in 2002, October of 2002, cash was at an all-time high. I mean, it was just... Those are completely inverse of where they should be. They they look exact opposite of each other. And and you're like, that's why I tell you that maximum financial opportunity happens at the bad stuff. And then the same thing happens. The S&P 500 takes off. And once it gets to the top, right before, because realize that's what I love about this chart, 
we know we're headed for a downturn right after this That's in right. 2008. You see cash is super low uh-huh. again. Uh-huh. So it, it's really a scary thing. And it, and it shows exactly, it illustrates what you were talking about. Another chart that I pulled from First Trust, it talks about the, the it was the 15th largest one-day losses in the S&P, S&P 500. And then it got in the DeLorean and said, well, let's fast forward and look at it. What did the markets do one year later? What did they do five years That's later? Right. And what did they do 10 years later? And here's what the data shows is that if you average up the 15 biggest losses of the S&P 500, historically, it would, you would see an average of a loss of 8.16%. Neither one of Friday or Monday matched 8.16%, but it's still, let's go worst case situation that you can see one year later, the average, if you average up these 15, um, worst days was 21.43%. So, and, and I talk about the pluck effect. You know, when mm-hmm. we talk about downturns, when you pull, think about a musical instrument, you know, like a guitar or something, and you pull the string down, you know, the further you pull that string down, the higher, the faster a rubber band, you could use That's whatever right. analogy you want, it does recover faster. Because mm-hmm. the down is fast, but the recovery can be fast too, right. and it's that pluck effect. But think about, so one year was 21.43 on average, five years it was 10.92. You see what it's doing. It's reversion back to what they had average at 10.16 because 10 years later it was 10.43 historically in the long term it's trying to get back to what its average rate of return is and considering how quickly the markets move how naive must we be if we think that we can time it just right because even if we miss a big chunk of the loss and even if we quote unquote sell or go to cash or squeeze the bill or whatever and we miss it are we really getting back in at the maximum point of financial opportunity? You gotta get it right twice. You gotta get it right twice. And that just is very hard to do, uh, consistently over an entire career cycle, over an entire life cycle. So let's talk about a plan moving forward. Cause we've given you, we've hopefully educated you. We've converted you to thinking, I'm an emotional creature. Let's put some analytical steps forward so I don't make these mistakes myself and I'm on the right path. Um, so here's the things you've got to be thinking about as an investor. Do you have a plan? Do you have an investment plan? Do you have a financial plan? That would be step one is making sure you're actually doing a plan. That's right. Um, you know, you can't go, you don't have a map to get you to a destination. Can't get there. You're just not going to get there. You're a rudderless ship. So make sure you have a financial plan that works for you. Do you have a plan that secures retirement? You know, now your plan is going to be multiple facets. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, we all have goals. We want the kids educated. We want the house paid for. But we also want to have a good retirement. So you've got multiple things working. You want to make sure they're working together, that those arrows aren't going all over the place. Um, do you know where you'll get cash if things get bad? We get this question from even very successful people um, where they've built up a lot of assets, but they're like, okay, I'm thinking about transitioning. I am transitioning because I'm hitting retirement where I've been a saver my whole life, but now I'm going to be a consumer or a right. spender of my reason. How do I do it? What's the plan for where do I get these these assets and where do you get them? Man, if things are really bad, where do I get the yeah. assets? Have a plan for that. Know where you'll get the money. And how should you diversify? Right. You need to know yourself. You need to know what your age is, your risk profile, what your goals are. They all need to be working to create some type of risk plan so you know what you're doing and what type of diversification That's right. you should have that reflects that. And as Bo has already told you on the show earlier today, the diversification is what's going to help you out during those dark days because because you're diversified, you'll have some conservative assets to, to, to make it through that cold winter right. or make it through that long journey on the ship the, of, of 
financial peril, which the oceans can get pretty choppy in right. that. You like all these visuals I like I'm, it, I'm throwing man. out there? All over the place. So, and then here's another thing. I, I just give you anecdotal information is that if you're losing sleep, something's probably wrong. I, I'm going to say that even a little bit differently because it's so fresh in my mind and because we fielded so many phone calls on this and so many listener emails. If you hear that the market lost 1,100 points and it has you questioning your investment strategy in your portfolio, the risk inherent in your portfolio might not be just right for you. Yep. Or, or maybe you don't understand what the risk inherent in your portfolio is. You need to reconcile those two things for sure. So I wanted to kind of, we talked, to, I showed that whole illustration how the average investor is horrible with the timing of the market and usually hoard cash. Mm-hmm. At the wrong time. Market starts getting beat up. They're like, oh my goodness, let's get it, let's get out. So they build up as much cash as possible. So if you're one of these people that's thinking about going to cash, you, you had a little bit of, you know, ups and downs on Friday and Monday and you're like, just get me that's the right. heck away from this thing. Let me give you some coping tools to know, you know, to figure out what your path forward is. The first thing is have an honest assessment of what you'll need, um, and, and when you'll need the money. And if right. you're 15 years from retirement, guys, hit the snooze button. I mean, seriously, if you are freaking out and you're 15 years from retirement, you do not understand how investing works and you right. probably need to go follow up with some That's more right. money guy resources to make sure you're not go with people. Go look at all the charts we just shared, for sure. Um, reevaluate the asset allocation. Now, as we talk about if you're losing sleep, if you're freaking out about this, you really should take this as an opportunity to reevaluate the asset allocation, especially since we've had a slight recovery since those two choppy days. Perfect time for you to kind of look at that. Um, we've had, we, we do this. I hate seeing people just tell me it's an all or nothing. It's not a binary decision where I'm either going to be invested or I'm going to cash. That's right. I think that for a person that's panicking, freaking out, and you really are at the cusp of just going straight to cash, how about coming up with a, a coping, um, situation where maybe, maybe you go to cash with a portion, but then you start dollar cost averaging over a short period of time or a year, you know, six months, That's 12 right. months, 18 months. I can't tell you because it's, it's more of a personalized decision, but those are things that let you take advantage of the volatility, but also get you some, some sleeping money. That, and that's only, I only want you doing this if you're one of those really special people that's thinking, I'm getting out of everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, cause there are a certain portion of people that, that scares me to death because that just means you're, you're leaving everything to where now you That's have to right. get it right that second decision. And, and let's face it, uh, you know, going to cash is an emotional decision, but sometimes it's just necessary for people to be able to deal with that. What you're going to find, and we see this all the time for folks who come to us that maybe previously they had gone to cash, you, you will enter into this area of analysis paralysis. Yep. Where once you have that cash, what do I do now? So if you are someone who's going to make that decision, which we would encourage you not to, think about a system you can put in place that day to go ahead and start getting that money back to work so you remove the decision-making process from yourself. And, and Bo, I'm shocked you didn't put this because you're so much better at this than me. I think that this is also where a professional can, can sure. come into play. We, we talk about it, and you go to our websites and you'll see it. We talk about who are the type of people we work with. There are very successful, very smart people who've done a great job on the do-it-yourself. It ties into our whole abundance cycle. If you go learn, grow, implement, use as much of the free stuff we're sharing with you, but you will get to a level of success that you're going to go, man, I'll tell you what, this thing is so big. Sure. I'm scared when it has these things. Not because I don't, I don't, I'm not questioning how good I am with it, but it's just that this is an enterprise that is now seven figures. That's right. You know, headed towards eight figures. I need some help making sure that that, that nothing's getting off track because there is a calming nature when you know someone has your back. That's if right. someone's looking over your shoulder, there's some consensus collaboration that's going on. So 
if you are freaking out and you have a decent level, maybe you do need to have a professional in your corner to help you out. So I want to kind of close things out and talk about, because we talked about all the negatives. Right. Is there a silver lining to volatility? Mm-hmm. I think this is an important question. Sure. And, and I love this because this all came about probably five years ago, four years ago. I had my first podcast listener who wrote me, and he coined the term that I'm a financial mutant That's when right. these things happen. And I started thinking about it because I'm the same way. I can have this big portfolio, but on days my 401k contributions are going in or my retirement plan contribution, this is going to sound sick. I kind of hope for a little bit of a down day on those days that it purchases it. So it cr- turns you into a financial mutant right. that you're actually rooting for volatility on the days you buy. Cause you know that when you have a strategy where you're buying on a monthly basis, just right. no matter what's going on, you're buying those, those bad days at that volatility actually creates buying opportunities right. for you to take advantage of. So if you're a young person, try to become a financial mutant where you celebrate these downturns because they create opportunity for you going forward. I think in the long term, these this volatility and these downturns also they kind of it's the analogy of your grass in your yard. Uh, every spring you're supposed to dethatch your yard. You probably don't, but if you want a really green yard and a really good looking yard, you have to you know it's things you're supposed to do besides just fertilize. But you don't just cut the grass and fertilize it. You have to dethatch it. You also have to to aerate it, there's things you do. So I look at this as a dethatching process. I can tell you're shocked. I, I've never even heard the term dethatch before. They do it. Think about, okay, let's use another analogy because, guys, I'm over his head on the grass cutting. If you own a timber farm, every so often they'll come in and they clean out yeah, the rows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, okay. de- they, that's another way you could think about it as a dethatching. They clean it out so you, you make room for the roots to grow and everything, to the, the nutrients aren't being crowded out. It's the same thing with the financial markets. If you, like I said, if the S and P 500 never had volatility, you would have 85 year olds all hanging out in there too. Because why wouldn't you? If we could all get guaranteed 10 percent rates of returns, this is what we all should that's do. Right. But that's just not the way it works. So think about it as a, a, a cleansing, a mm-hmm. dethatching process to make sure that that we get the people out who aren't who aren't supposed to that's be right. in the financial markets, and then. Short-term volatility, I think of, especially when you have this wake-up call where you have two days where you get cold water thrown on you, and then it, you, you get a, whoo, okay, wow, that wasn't as bad, it's okay. You get a kind of a do-over. Yeah. Use this vo- short-term volatility to look at your personal situation and go, maybe I am outside of my skis. Maybe I, maybe I am who Brian is talking about. I'm that 62-year-old that has way too much S&P 500 in my portfolio yeah. This is the time I think short-term volatility can be that wake-up call that you need to be doing something a little different. Um, And I want to, you know, by the way, we've we've thrown a ton of information at you guys. So if you want to take the relationship to the next level, because that is the the final part of the abundance cycle, is after you come, learn, implement, and grow your assets, and you get to that point where you need somebody over your shoulder to help you out as your collaborator and team member, look at Abound Wealth. Look at the Money Guy Show. Go to our contact page. It's moneyguy.com. It's aboundwealth.com. Yep. Love to work with people. We work with clients all over the country. But I could not help it, Bo, if I didn't close out the show with a, the, just reading the quote from the greatest investor all of right, our time, yeah. which is Warren Buffett. I feel like right now you are buttoning up your sweater. You're taking your shoes off. Well, you're sitting I, I think, by the fire. You know, they, they, are re, they are making, a, I don't know if it's a documentary. I don't know if it's a spoof, but they're doing something 
on Mr. Rogers. Uh-huh. And I grew up with Mr. Rogers, and that's probably why I feel so comfortable in sweaters and sweater vests and everything else. But I do feel like I'm getting ready to, 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 to share some wisdom to close this out. So, um, we put, and this was in our, you know, what we sent out to the, to the, to all of the Money Guy family as well as our clients. And we titled it Good Advice is Timeless. And this is from Warren Buffett's 2013 Berkshire Hathaway letter to shareholders. Before I start reading this, one of the things I thought was interesting because I watched, I'm guilty just like everybody else. I feel like I have to because you guys count on us to know what's going on in the markets. I turn on CNBC and all the other stuff like everybody else does. And immediately they start talking about the machines. This is a flash crash caused by all the the automated trades and everything else. This is from 2013. Here we are in 2018. This is in here discussed too. So this shows you how timeless good advice is. So I'm just going to read this. This is from Warren Buffett, 2013, Berkshire Letter to Shareholders. It should be an enormous advantage for investors in stocks to have these wildly fluctuating valuations placed on their holdings. And for some investors, it is. After all, if a moody fellow with a farm bordering my property yelled out a price every day to me, at which he would either buy my farm or sell me his, and those prices varied wildly, wildly over short periods of time depending upon his mental state, how in the world could I be other than benefited by his erratic behavior? If his daily shout-out was ridiculously low and I had some spare cash, I'd buy his farm. If the number he yelled out was absurdly high, I could either sell to him or just go on farming. Owners of stocks, however, however, too often let the capricious and irrational behavior of their fellow owners cause them to behave irrationally as well. Because there is so much chatter about markets, the economy, interest rates, price behavior of stocks, etc., some investors believe it is important to listen to pundits, and worse yet, important to consider acting upon their comments. Those people who can't sit quietly for decades when their own farm or apartment house too often becomes frantic when they are exposed to a stream of stock quotations and accompanying commentators delivering an applied message, implied message of, they'll just sit there, do something. For these investors, liquidity is transformed from the unqualified benefit it should be to a curse. Mm-hmm. A flash crash or some other extreme market fluctuation can't hurt an investor any more than an erratic and mouthy neighbor can hurt my farm investment. Indeed, tumbling markets can be helpful to the true investor if he has cash available when prices get far out of line with values. A climate of fear is your friend when investing. A euphoric world is your enemy. During the extraordinary financial panic that occurred in late in 2008, I never gave a thought to selling my farm or New York real estate, even though a severe recession was clearly brewing. And if I owned 100% of a solid business with good long-term prospects, it would have been foolish for me to even consider dumping it. So why would I have sold my stocks that were small participants in wonderful businesses? True, any one of them might eventually disappoint, but as a group, they, they were certain to do well. Could anyone really believe the earth was going to swallow up the incredible, pr- incredibly productive assets and unlimited human ingenuity existing in America? So good. I mean, it's 2013. I mean, he he had no idea that on February of 2018, CNBC was going to be talking about a flash crash. That's right. Yeah. So good advice is timeless. We hope you find the Money Guy Show timeless. This is going to reside out there on YouTube World, out there in iTunes, Stitcher. However you like to consume your dose of the Money Guy Show, just connect with us. We believe in this abundance cycle. If you'll come, learn, 
implement and grow your assets, we know down the road we'll get our dividends because you're going to want to become part of the family. And we're just so blessed to have you. Go to moneyguy.com. Go to aboundwealth.com. We'll talk to you soon. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. Brian Preston is a principal with Abound Wealth Management. Abound Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Security and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Abound Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment or legal advice.